We're looking at body 25 today. In the last verse, we talked a lot about this infinity, and the Shabbat began with Antana Sifti Kernana Ant about this unlimited praise. That was the expression of someone who had found that oneness. Remember, we talked about the four stages of enlightenment and someone who had dissolved their self-identity and they were able to see that oneness everywhere. What would that expression be like? What would their song be like? What would their words be? But then Guruji goes on to talk about what about the others? What about the people who aren't feeling that? What about the ones who still have that state of separation? How do they get there? What can be done to help those people? What is their place in the world? What do we know about the people who still believe in this delusion of separation? So this one in particular is quite relevant when we come across people who will define themselves as an atheist. And what we mean by that is people who are against this very structured idea of a God. Most people who call themselves atheists, what they're really talking about is a very Christianized concept of God. And even that which is the modern Christian concept of God, which is this Abrahamic kind of father figure that's sitting in heaven. And most atheists can't accept that. And the majority of people who are following that way of looking at God, whether it's within the Indic traditions, whether it's within the Eastern religions or in the Western religions, ultimately what they're talking about is a figure that just relies you to believe on someone, believe in some character. And so the majority of people who have lost their faith, and the word faith is very interesting here because faith means that you have to trust against all the proof, you still have to trust that there is this thing that's out there. That's what we talk about when we talk about faith, that you've not seen this God, you've not heard it, you've not felt it, but there's enough people that are believing in it, how strong is your faith? How strong is your ability to believe in something that you've never seen? What we have to ask ourselves is, is what value does belief hold in our life? How long can we carry on believing in something we've never seen, we've never heard? Nobody around us seems to be talking about having seen it or heard it. So how long can we carry on believing in something like that? And we almost have to have a lot of sympathy for the atheist because it seems that modern religions don't seem to have anything to offer them. They're just continuing this old way of thinking. So Guruji starts by talking about this concept of grace. And the body begins, Bauta karam likhya na jai. In your English translations, you may see the word blessings for karam, bauta karam, so many blessings, a lot of blessings. But having gone through this process, 
and looking at the spellings now, we can see that the word karam is a singular word. It has an onkar. So it cannot mean blessings. Blessings is a plural word. So you can say blessing, but for me the word grace seems to fit a lot easier. Karam as a singular word being grace. So if we were to translate this line, Bauta karam jai, we would say, so much is the grace cannot be written. Bauta karam jai cannot be written. Life is a continuous outpouring. Think of life like this vast ecosystem. And it's been fine-tuned to meet the needs of everything and everyone within that ecosystem. It's a continuous cycle of continuous giving. Nothing is ever wasted in this system. Even when something is destroyed, it becomes food for something else. And we can see that in nature. Nothing ever lies there wasted forever. Some creature, some animal, some plant, something is always able to use what we would say is dead. So there is a way of seeing the world as a continuous cycle of giving. Everything is always receiving. And the ones who have seen the world in this way have called that system grace, a divine gift. We heard about this in the third verse, the third body of Japji Sahib. Gave ko taan hove kise taan. Some people sing of the might and the power of the oneness, if they have the power to do so. Gave ko daat. Some people sing of its grace, its ability to continuously give, and they recognize the oneness as a giver. So to, to the people who see the world in this way, everything is a gift. Everything becomes a reason to be thankful. Everything is a reason to be humbled, because when you get given a gift that you don't expect, you feel humbled, you feel unworthy, you feel small because someone has shown you an act of kindness, an act of love. And so to the people who see the world in this way, every moment is a moment of grace, every moment is a receiving in some way. And they know that nothing is theirs. Nothing is what they have for themselves, nothing is what they own, nothing is things that they have created for themselves, everything is a gift. And when we start to think like this, we can see how much has been given to us. Let's start with the body. Where has this body come from? Think about this machine that's with you all the time. 
Where does it come from? Even your mother and father don't know how from a couple of cells an entire body is formed. The scientists may tell you that a cell splits to another, to another, to another. But where is it getting that from? Where is it getting that impulse to do that? Where is it getting that energy to do that? What keeps that system going? And from two simple cells, so much can be created. And it seems to work by itself. Look at your body. No batteries, no electricity, nothing to plug in, nothing to recharge. We don't have many things in our life that work in that way. Everything draws energy from somewhere. All the lights are on, all the motors are running, and they're running continuously, even when you're asleep. The shop floor is running, the factory, the workshop, it just keeps going. And then there is the food that this body takes. Where does that come from? Every year, you look at trees in the winter, they're barren, and then it's a surprise every time when blossom comes in the spring, where out of nowhere, life seems to form. And each tiny little flower gives birth to big, healthy, nutritious fruit. Where does that come from? What is, the, what is that which just keeps giving? You don't have to do anything. You take an apple tree as an example. You don't do anything to it. It just keeps giving every year. And then you eat that fr fruit, you eat that food, and somehow the carrot, the apple, the cucumber, somehow those vegetables, when they enter into your body, they create blood, they create bones, they create cells, they create movement, they create life. What is it that you've eaten that's managed to keep this body alive for so many years? How does life transfer from a fruit into you? When we start thinking like this, we begin to realize that actually we're, we're being given things all the time, but we're just not aware of it. Then there's the warmth of the sun, the light of the sun that continues to shine without anybody asking for it. It just carries on. Then there is the air that your body breathes. Plants are just continually giving that air. And then there is breath. If there's no other gift that we can appreciate, if everything sounds too religious and too airy-fairy, there's one gift that everyone can appreciate, and that is breath. This magic system of simply drawing breath in, and it keeps you alive. The life giver. Each time you breathe in is another moment that you can stay alive. And what have you done to deserve that gift?
How have you earned that gift? What do we do that makes us worthy of receiving another moment of life? If we bring our awareness to our breath, we can realize that every breath is another opportunity at life. And we've done nothing for this. There's just something invisible that continues to give this to us. And this system of giving isn't exclusive for people. It's there for every creature. We only have to watch any of these nature documentaries on TV to realize how perfected this ecosystem is that every tiny creature has some way of surviving. Every creature has within their environment the things they need to give them shelter, to give them warmth, to give them food, nutrition, life. So the cynic might turn around and say, well, okay, I accept that everything natural is given to me. But everything else that I own, all my possessions, are ultimately due to my own hard work. Yeah? Nobody gave me the car that I drive. Nobody gave me the house that I live in. I had to work for that. I've done my education. I've gone through the struggles of getting a good job. And now I've earned these for myself. So all our wealth, all our possessions, even our relationships, we can say that these are our choices. These are the result of decisions that we've taken. But I'll ask you this question. Where do your choices come from? Where do your thoughts come from? Who gave you the capacity to think? Who gave you the capacity to learn? Who gave you the capacity to move? You could very easily have had none of those things given to you. It's like somebody who places all the choices in front of you and you simply pick one option. And then you hold on to that pride that I've picked this option. This is my fruit that I've picked. But had all of those not been placed in front of you, where would you have had the ability to pick that? So, what is the root of our thoughts? What is the mool? Where do things come from? If we think about it on a deeper level, then we'll realize that nothing that we do in life is ultimately ours. Everything, when we go back further and further, we realize stems from something that's been given to us. So, Ultimately, even all of our thoughts stem from something that's higher than us, not things that are created by us. Now, most people fail to see the world in this way. We see everything as our own. Yeah? Let's even think about the word own. If we say this is my own house, my own car, the word own implies ownership. I own it. It's mine. 
It's exclusively mine. Yeah? If we think about a pen, I own this pen. This is my own pen. You can borrow it, but even if you're holding it, you should know and I should know that it belongs to me. There's a sense of ownership about things, yeah? But is it really ours? Who is the one owning it? What is it that you consider is here right now that you can say this is the owner of it? Who is the owner of anything? Is it your body that owns it? Let's think about your house, your car, your children, your family. Who owns it? Does your body own it? Do your thoughts own it? Does your mind own it? Who owns it? Who is it that's there? And if you can say, it's me, the sense of me, well, where does that me come from? Who created that me? Everything that we think about ultimately goes back to something that we've been given. So, the mind-facing people, manamuk, they believe that everything is theirs. Everything that they've worked for, everything that they attach themselves to belongs to them. The guru-facing ones, the gurmuks, see everything as borrowed. Nothing is owned. Everything is on rent. Nothing is permanently yours. And even seeing the world in this way is grace. Don't take ego in how you see the world. Otherwise you say, look what a gurmukh I am. That I see the world as grace. Even seeing the world as grace is divine grace. Bauta karam likhya na jai. So much grace, what can be written about it? So vast is this system of grace that there is nothing that can be said and nothing that can be written about it. But then there is the grace and then there is the one giving the grace. Vada data, that big, great, vast provider. Who is the one that's giving all of these things? Tilnatamai. Now, this is where the atheists will start to struggle with this idea. Well, hang on, what do you mean? Do you mean there's a creator? Because we don't believe in that guy. Who is this data? Who is this God? I don't really want to belong to him. But let's put that to one side. Let's forget Mr. God. Even if you acknowledge nothing else but the fact that there is life, and life is just giving out life, Life is giving out breath, it's giving out creation. When things are destroyed, that becomes food for something else. Even an atheist can appreciate that there is life. And life is continuously giving. And we are continuously receiving and borrowing from that life. And ultimately, everything that we think is ours goes back into that system of life. We take nothing with us. So we don't have to confuse people with this God idea. It's here, it's present, it's now. And we don't have to confuse ourselves with this God idea. We've done that for too long. 
We've lived under the burden of Mr. God for too long. Time to let him go as well. Grace is here. And the life all around us just continues to give. And this is the provider. This is the great giver. Life is the great giver. Vada data. The grand provider. Tilanatamai. Tamai means with some idea of receiving something back. Self gain. Like if I give you something and I have an idea that I'm going to get something in return for it, that's this idea of receiving when you're giving. Til means a sesame seed, is known as a very small seed. So this great giver, Vadadatta, has not even a seed of self-want, self-need, self-reward. So this giver is like no other giver. It has no thought of its own self. Now, why is Guruji talking about this? Why is Guruji referring to this oneness in almost a human-like way? Oh, you're a great giver. You provide without asking for anything in return. Because within Guruji talking about the giver in that way, there's a message about how we give. How do we act? We all have the capacity to give. Yeah, We often give things to our friends, to our family. But everything that we give has some receiving in it. Now most of us would think actually when I give a present to someone, I don't expect them to give anything back. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to manipulate them in some way that if I give you a large present, I expect a large present in return. Most of the time you would say, actually, I, I give things quite freely. I'm quite good at giving. Yeah. I don't give wanting for anything in return. But even if you give something to make someone happy, you know ultimately that it makes you feel good. Even if it's on the surface seems like a completely selfless act, like you just give presents away to people. How many times have you given things away when it knowingly made you sad? How many times would you give things away when you know that it would make you upset? Now you tell me how many times you've given things away without any need for self-reward. There's always a small reward in there somewhere. Completely selfless would say, you want my car, take it. I need it, but you, you take it. You want my house, take it. You want my family, take it. Now look at Guru Gobind Singh Ji. Now look at Guru Arjan Dev Ji. Now look at Guru Tegh Bahadur Ji. They said, you want my head, take it. Telanatamai. Not even a shred of self-reward. So, even in our giving, there is a receiving, 
And even if we feel like we've been giving all our life and we've been expecting nothing in return, there's a small ego even in that. This is why the word til is used. A very tiny fraction remains within us. But there is this oneness that gives which doesn't even have that fraction. So this oneness is giving all the time and it holds nothing back. It's continuously just giving. And it needs nothing from you. There's nothing you can do to please it. It's gifted the whole world to you. And it's gifted you to the world. The world is a gift to you, but you are also a gift to the world. The very reason that you've been created was for you to be a giver, for you to give to the world. Even if you're not doing anything, your very presence here is giving something to someone. If nothing else, you're producing oxygen. You're taking in oxygen, you're producing carbon dioxide for the plants. Your very presence is giving. Even when you die, your body will be useful for something. It'll decompose back into the ground. Somebody will use it. The system of giving is just a shift in our perception. Everything comes down to perception ultimately. Everything is a way of looking at the world. The religious folk have a way of looking at the world. It's not the truth. It's just a way of looking at the world. The atheists don't have the truth either. They just have another way of looking at the world. And grace is another way of looking at the world. But what a beautiful way it is. Every moment is a grace. Bautak karam likhyana jaye vadda data tilanatmaye kete mange jod apar kete how many mange are asking jod jod doesn't have an anchor so this is plural jod means jodhe warriors fighters apar means infinite kete mange jod apar so many warriors asking infinitely so who are these warriors now that Guruji is talking about? Where does this come into the picture? And what are they asking for? In a way, we're all warriors. In a way, we're all battling. We've decided to create our view of the world as a struggle. We wake up every morning, every day is a struggle, something to deal with, challenges. This is the way of looking at the world that isn't grace. If you woke up every morning and everything was grace, then you've got nothing to fight. Every moment is a grace. But we're not like that. We wake up and the world we've decided is a struggle. So we become these jode, we become these people and we're continuously asking, we're continuously fighting. So many battles we fight. Every day is a new challenge. Every interaction with someone is a potential conflict. We're on our best behavior with most people, but with most people, we can't be relaxed. Even our closest friends, there's always a tipping point where we say, if that, if that guy says that, 
I'm going to say this. It becomes a battle. So we're at the verge of battle all the time. Warriors all the time, always ready to, to win our battle. Because we've decided to see the world as this struggle. If we flipped it and we saw the world as grace, even if you're shouting at me, you say, wow, beautiful, just keep going. It sounds insane, but it is a way of looking at the world. But we don't do that. Everything is, you better not say anything against me because I'm ready to fight. We've woken up and we've decided the world is going to be a bit of a struggle today. Not a grace. So this is us. Guru's talking about us. Otherwise we can read these lines. We say, oh, there's lots of warriors somewhere in their ancient battle outfits doing something about asking. Guruji makes every single word relevant to us. So we've kind of created this way of the world where everything is a, is a struggle. Like we're always trying to survive, always trying to win. And we use these kind of words in, in analogy. Success, achievement, all of that's like you have to fight to achieve something. Strive, be the best, all that sort of stuff. But most of us know that this doesn't bring us bliss. This way of looking at the world doesn't bring us bliss. It doesn't bring us peace. But yet, we don't understand that the way that we see the world determines how much bliss we get. We see it the other way around. Like, I'm going to keep fighting until somebody gives me a whole bunch of bliss. But the very fact that you're fighting, the very fact that you've decided to be Mr. Warrior or Mrs. Warrior, means that you are choosing to defeat everything, struggle with everything, have conflict with everything. Where's the bliss in that? Everyone knows that there's a more blissful purpose to life, but we just don't know how to achieve it. So this is askete mange jod apar. Continuously struggling, continuously fighting. Ketia ganat. There are so many. Ganat means I can't count them. Their numbers cannot be contemplated. Such are many, their numbers cannot be contemplated. There are so many of us that are begging from the world, struggling in the world, depending on the world. Every person, every creature, every animal, every cell in our body actually works in that way that it's just waiting to receive something. The word cup is very interesting. It's like bickering, squabbling. Tutte means to break. Vekar means that which is useless. Filth, rubbish. It can also mean corruption. Kete kap vekar. So many squabble and are broken by this falsehood. So, you know, we talked about seeing the world as this constant giving. Somebody can argue, well, what's the reason for thinking like that? Why do we need to remember this all the time? Okay, we've been given a body. Okay, we've been given breath. 
okay, we've been given food and sunlight and warmth and, and all those lovely natural things, but why do we need to spend our time remembering it? It's there, it's free. We haven't paid for it, we acknowledge that, but why do we need to remember it? Why not just go on enjoying these free gifts? So a lot of people don't see much value in, in this kind of way of thinking. They don't see the value in, in, in contemplating these ideas to changing their way of looking at the world. And what they do is then they end up back in this struggle. Remember we talked about the Jode, the warriors? Everything is a squabble. Everything is bickering with the world. And Guruji says that if you don't see the world in this way, what are you doing? You're going to come here, you're going to squabble and bicker with a few people and eventually you're going to die. Kete kap tutte vekar. In this vekar, this is not something that's going to stay with you. This world, this material possessions, they're not going to stay with you. So you're going to spend all of your life struggling to earn something that's just ultimately useless. And tutte is the interesting word. In doing that, you're going to break something. What are you going to break? You're going to break your connection with the universe. There's a beautiful way to look at the universe, which is this grace, which is this gratitude. But the ones who don't, kap to tevekar, they're just kap kap, they're always just bickering and arguing and squabbling in the world over useless things. And in doing that, they break something. They break that, that ability to be blissful, connected, happy. And there are countless people like this. Kete kap tu tevekar. Kete lale mukkar pahe. How many take and take? Le le mukkar pahe. Mukkarpai means to become ungrateful, to become so selfish and egotistical. So many consume and consume, becoming ungrateful. Kete lele mukkarpai. The more we receive in life, the more possessions that we fill our lives with, the greater the delusion that we create for ourselves. That there is this me and there is these possessions that I own. And the more that we surround ourselves with, the greater we think we are. You've only got two cars, I've got 20. No thought about where do those cars come from? Are they ultimately going to stay with you? Where does your body come from? Where does your mind come from? No thought of that. Just. Yeah, I did this. I earned all of these things. This is mine. This kind of ungrateful way of looking at the world, not seeing the world as grace, but seeing the world as things that you've achieved. Your dominance over others. So this is this being ungrateful. La la mukkarpai. And Guruji ultimately uses one word for this, this way of thinking. Kete murak kahi kahi. This is foolishness, Guruji says. And there are countless fools who think in this way. Kete murak, murak means foolish. Countless fools 
kahi kahe. They're eating, they're enjoying the fruits of the universe, but in their own foolishness, they're not acknowledging it. So many fools consume and consume. Get their murk kahi kahe. So these are the fools who are continuously, kahi kahe means there's a continuous cycle of just consuming the universe. We do that even with our breath. We're constantly breathing in an ungrateful way. Like it's just there. Like it's something that we deserve. And what's even more foolish about this way of thinking is that when you receive something you rejoice and when something gets taken away you cry. So it's part of this perception that we've created in the world. Now, Guru has always said that seeing the world as divine grace, the ability to see the world in this way is not your choosing. That the ability to see this, the the ability to understand the world in this way, that too is grace. And the ones who don't see the world in this way, they simply are lacking that grace. So, how can Guru be so judgmental over people who just haven't been given this understanding? How can you call someone a fool for something they don't know? So Guruji here isn't talking from a point of ego. Guruji is not saying from a point of superiority. Look at us, we're in the in the, the club that knows the right way to see the world and you people belong in the wrong club. You guys are the fools. And that's how we, we talk. Even within Sikhi, we're the Gurmukhs, you guys are the Manamukhs. We create this division. Guruji is not doing this here. Guruji is not talking from a perspective of superiority. You know, even when, sometimes when a parent uses harsh words to a child, there's a meaning behind it. Sometimes you have to say things just to get children to stop and listen. So sometimes you have to use words carefully that get people to just say, hang on, there's something serious here. Guru is calling me a fool. But we have to understand that the Guru isn't trying to attack our ego. Guru is simply just placing another way, a way that you don't refer to yourself. Guru is saying, I'm going to call you this. So you say, hang on, is that really me? Am I really one of those people? See, from the Guru, even harsh words are a gift. Even when the Guru uses harsh words against us, it's a gift, it's a teaching, it's a blessing. Guru Ram Das Ji says, Je gur chidke ta mitha lage, je bakshe ta gur Even if the Guru tells me off, I find it sweet. Remember what we talked about, this kind of grace way of looking at the world? Yeah? We say that everyone is a potential argument. Everyone is one word away from an argument. Isn't that true? They only have to say one thing and that's it. Full-blown argument. But there's a way of looking at the world which is 
Everything is an opportunity to learn. Everything is a grace. So the ones who have built this relationship with the Guru, they know that the Guru is not trying to argue with them. They know there's no point trying to argue with the Guru. And when the Guru says something strong, it's for your benefit. Je gur chidke ta mitha lage. I see it as sweet, Guru Ramdas Ji says, when the Guru tells me off. And when the Guru blesses me in this way, then it's his greatness. It's not my greatness that I see it as sweet. It's his greatness that he's blessed me to see it in this way. How beautiful, huh? What a way to look at the world. Every moment is grace. So Guruji, when he calls us a murak, it's a grace. It's a moment to sit and listen. Guru has something important to tell us. We've seen some of these concepts before. We talked about verse 3 at the beginning when Guruji talked about Gave ko taan hove kise taan, gave ko daat jane nisan. If we carry on down verse 3, we hear Dinda de lende thakpaye juga jugantar khahi khaye. The giver keeps giving to the point where the receiver cannot even contemplate it anymore. They get tired, not of receiving, but get tired of acknowledging how much they are receiving. But Juga Jugantar, for countless lives and countless ages, Kahi Kahi. So here the same concept is there. Kete Mura Kahi Kahi. So what is Guruji doing here? What is Guruji doing by linking a verse that we've seen in, in the beginning of Japji Sahib, verse 3, with this stage of the Japji Sahib now. In the beginning of Japji Sahib, Guruji was talking about Gave ko daat jane nisan, this way of looking at the world and singing and rejoicing about it. Now having gone through this journey, Guruji is saying, do you remember that way of singing? Now you know the right way to sing. When you've listened, sunye, maniye, when you've gone into that internal state of understanding, of meditative contemplation, when you've come out the other end and you've lost your ego and you've understood, now you know what I meant when we're talking about in verse 3. Gave ko taan hove kise taan, gave ko daat jane nisan. Guru says that don't even think by your singing that you're somehow great. Yeah? Just by you singing the praises of the universe, you're not doing anything great. But it's a great way to live. You do your singing. You make life your song. You continue to give just as the universe is giving to you all the time. Live in this way. Make life this kind of beautiful song. And don't worry, the universe is going to keep giving. That's his system. Denda de lande thak pae, juga jugantar khai khai, hukmi hukam chalae rao. This is the hukam, this is the system that will keep going. Nanak says, vigse viparvao. Nanak says that it is completely carefree, it is playful. But now you understand what it is. In verse 3, you may not have understood what it was. You may not have known, how do you live like that? How do we accept hukam like that? So here Guruji is clarifying this concept. So 
if we're to draw some conclusion from this teaching, ultimately we just have to ask ourselves, what is my perception of the world? How do I choose to see the world? This is nothing to do with religion now. It's nothing to do with whether you're a, a believer or an atheist. This is relevant to everyone. Remember Guru Nanak is the Guru of the world. Relevant to everyone. How do you choose to see the world? Are you going to wake up tomorrow morning and let it be a struggle, a battle? Or is there a way of looking at the world that can give you that bliss that you so desire, that peace, that contentment that we're all after? Can you get it now by just seeing the world as a grace? Change your perception and the world around you will change. So we'll leave it there for now. Why could you Khalsa? Why could you Fateh?